Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the What the Niche podcast with me, your host, Andrew Morris. I apologize to anyone who was expecting an episode last week, uh, but due to the demands associated with being a teacher, which I've talked about many times, I wasn't able to find the time to put one together. However, I am super happy to be back this week with another great chat with another phenomenal guest. Before we jump in this week, I want to cover a couple quick things. I'd love for everyone who enjoys this podcast to please share with your friends and family. I'd also like to encourage listeners to support the podcast by either buying some merch at whatthenitch.net or by becoming a subscriber at Patreon, which can be found via the donate button on the website. And I'd also like to announce I will be a guest on the Dastardly Dingoes podcast later this month with one of my former guests and newfound friend, Brian Rodman. Finally, let me continue to thank all of you for your support. Now, it's off we go into this week's episode. This week will be different because we are going to discuss something incredibly important to me, and that something special is metal music. I was in a band for the better part of seven years, and I had dreamed of being on that stage since I was a child. Therefore, the genre will always be near and dear to me. In this opening clip, you're going to hear some of the perceptions held by those in the media And you'll hear the thoughts on the cultures within the music and the benefits of this unique genre from those intimately involved. I've had parents explain to me, well, I let my teenager listen to rock music because that's all he'll listen to. Let me tell you, so the lyrics to real rock music is nothing more than satanic cyanide. Get it out of your house, throw it out and burn it. It has no place in the house of the righteous. It was a gruesome crime. 15-year-old Elise Paler was lured into a grove of eucalyptus trees by three teenage boys in 1995. They bound her neck with a belt, stabbed her repeatedly, and then raped her. Her body might never have been found if one of them, Royce Casey, hadn't come forward. He said she was a blonde-haired, blue-eyed virgin, and they were offering her as a sacrifice to the devil. The boys were part of a death metal band and thought that Satan could make their music better. Recently, a study from Humboldt State University looked at if a heavy load like metal affected fans, groupies, and band members decades later. And happily, they found that it did, but positively. Maybe it was an omen. The study opens with a translated 1850s poem titled The Flowers of Evil by French poet Baudelaire, which pretty much describes 80s metal. It is the devil who holds the strings by which we're moved. In revolting objects, we find charm. It's true that metalheads were running wild with the dark imagery, but though it may have seemed like a quiet riot, it might have really been a Cinderella story. 
Unsurprisingly, people who were metalheads they found were just as well-adjusted as non-metalheads. Middle-aged metalheads were not significantly more likely to have attempted suicide, nor were they more likely to have had sex earlier. They were also not more likely to experience physical or mental problems as an adult. And in fact, even though they indulged in risky behaviors, metalheads ended up less likely than fans of other musical genres to seek help for emotional problems. Basically, they're saying, even though teens across all groups experiment, metalheads somehow benefited from the social support that comes from a tight-knit and intense community. Plus, aggressive music like metal can regulate sadness and emotion for the listeners, according to another study in Frontiers in Human Neuroscience. These people felt inspired and emotional even with subject matter that was sad or isolationist. That close-knit connection they were feeling is a physiological reaction to music. When you dance, the neurons in your brainstem synchronize with the tempo. They start firing to the beat. Dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin are all released, which make you feel good. They help reinforce the music and the experience, but they also help you bond with the people close to you. The origins of moshing date back to punk shows of the late 70s and early 80s. Well, it comes from the idea of the slam pits of the 80s, of the punk underground punk scene, where people would uh, dance around, throw their arms up, throw their legs up, bounce into people. They're not out there to hurt each other. They're out there getting their aggressions out. I mean, they got a lot of pent-up angers and hates and frustrations, and they like a lot of things about the world that piss them off, and it's just a release. Early punk, hardcore, and metal bands almost always had some form of moshing, slam dancing or stage diving at their shows but back then for true fans it was considered an art form of course that's the whole secret that is exactly the secret to it all it is a release of aggression this kind of music if you go to a concert and you see people uh, you know as you will obviously on in this film you'll see people out there reacting you know very you know from head banging to you know, just very, very aggressive attitude. But that's the whole point of it. They go to that show, and by the time the show's over, the aggression has been expressed, and they just go on their way. Let's go have a couple beers. You know, I don't find metal people aggressive after the fact. I find them no more aggressive than the people who, um, who destroy a town after uh, an NBA championship game or after a hockey championship game. It seems to be very fashionable that if you win the championship, then you better destroy the town. I don't quite understand that one, and I've never really seen that happen to metal crowds because their aggression has been expressed, and they're, ah, all right, I feel so much better now. I mean, I think it's the perfect release for aggression. I think all psychiatrists and psychoanalysts should prescribe uh, go to metal shows, go scream and yell your head off, and then you'll probably be pretty happy after that. Uh, you're, again, you are a great example. You, know, you don't appear to be an aggressive person. I'm sure I don't appear to be an aggressive person sitting here either because we release our aggression through the music. And I think that that's always been my feeling about this. That, uh... Hands raised with the unified horns gesture. Sounds of gyrating guitar rhythms reverberating off the walls. A crowd bouncing in perfect time with the beat of the kick drum. Guttural screams filling the space. As anthems of aggression are chanted in unison. Bodies banging belligerently against one another. The chaos is the beauty here. Everyday routines are checked at the door. Clip-on identities become distant memories and truth of self reigns supreme. For the ties that bind are the banging of your head, letting your inhibitions wane. The music demands your undivided attention and encompasses every thought. 
welcoming the macabre calling cards for our Legion of the Deranged. We are all together, lost and simultaneously found. A family of misfits unified in a need for belonging, finding solace amidst the abrasiveness of the sound. The church of insanity for followers who embrace scripture and the way of another speed pick riff or wailing solo. Heavy is the language for those who exist on the periphery of the mainstream society and the piercing message will resonate as if amplified from a tower of black trumpets. Feeling the hearts of the hordes of metalheads the world over. And that beautifully dark twisted soliloquy brings me to my guest today, Vinny Costellano. He is a father, teacher, metal musician, and like family to me. In our conversation, we discuss our dreams of playing music, how we manage to balance normal lives while being metal musicians, the antics behind Vince's band Belushi Speedball, and how to simply be a decent human while pursuing your dreams. Overall, I hope you enjoy this great conversation between two old buddies. But before we jump into our chat, I recommend you go check out the new amazing video for Belushi Speedball's song, The Spinelli Slam. It's an animated piece of wonderful brutality. But to send us off into our conversation, I'm going to share a song called Sega Chord from one of Belushi's earlier albums.
Vinny Castellano. I play guitar for Belushi Speedball. I'm one of the main writers for Belushi Speedball. And uh, I've been I've been fronting the band. I am the front man. I do all the vocals. I've been fronting the band for the past six years in the Louisville local metal and punk scene. Holy shit, six years. I, until you said yeah. that out loud, I hadn't thought about six that. That's, cr- that's crazy. Um, so, yeah, uh, Vince and I have known each other for quite a while now. Now that he says six years with that band, he, we, I think we were in uh, the White Lotus together for, what, four years? I was only in it for like two. Two, two. Yeah. Oh, okay. The White Lotus was around for about four. I was only in it for two. I was on the second half of it. Awesome. Yeah, so we've known each other a long time. I've always considered you like family. We've just always been kind of kind of close and – uh, we see, we saw eye to eye on a lot of different stuff. So that just kind of helped us click a little bit from the get go, uh, which mm-hmm. was always nice. Um, with you, you're an interesting character. So, uh, especially with what you created with uh, Belushi Speedball, uh, and we'll get into that a little bit more. But I think it would be great for people to know what common misconceptions or you know, false perceptions that people make about you, not only for being a musician, but for being in the type of band that you're in. So what, right. what do people often say to you and assume about you based upon those things? Right. And so we, whenever you asked me this question earlier and we were off the record, I asked you, do you want me to answer this in two categories? Cause it, it kind of falls under two categories. So one of them, first and foremost is being a musician. The second is being a musician on Belushi Speedball. And so let me let me touch first on uh, being a musician. Um, I guess the misconception about being a musician, especially I'm 30 now. So you tell people like, yeah, I'm in a band. I'm a musician and I'm also an adult. A lot of times they kind of almost frown upon that because it's like, well, being in a band is kind of something you do when you're in high school. It's something like you do maybe in your early 20s, not when you're 30. Uh, and so I guess the misconception is, um, a lot of people think, are you making music? Are you playing music so you can get famous? Is it you're pouring your life and so on this because you feel like, oh, you're finally going to make it, huh? And that's why a lot of people, when you tell me yeah, I'm in a band, I'm a musician, they're like, oh, hopefully you get famous one day, tongue in cheek, you know, you're 30, yeah. right? You're never going to, you know, that's why I always is. You're never going to, if you haven't made it yet, you're not going to make it. Um, and so that's a misconception because honestly, any musician that really is a musician, um, uh, they do it because they love it. They do it because they like either making music, expressing themselves artistically, because it is an art. It's no different than making a painting or drawing a picture. You know, it's art. It's how you express your emotion, how you express yourself. Um, and they do it simply because they have that thing inside of them they have to get out. And so for me, it's always been writing writing, you know, this punk thrash kind of metal, uh, and being silly with it. But that's the thing I've always wanted to do and always express myself, um, that way. And so it's not to get famous, but now me in particular, one of the biggest driving factors for me, and this is, this actually falls under being in Belushi Speedball is we are very much a band for the fans. We are the fans band. I've said that, that they're all members of the band technically. And so we make music and we put on our, our shows with them in mind. So that way, when they come to see us, whatever's on their mind, whatever they're upset about, they forget it for the, the 30, 40 minutes that they're watching us and they have fun with us together. And so that's kind of what I really do it for. I do it for the community. 
and I do it for the the Louisville scene. And, and of course, you know, whenever we go out of town and play, it's still the same thing. I'm, I'm playing for a local scene somewhere. You know, I'm not on this, you know, gigantic Mercury ballroom, you know, 700 person capacity room stage, you know, I'm usually playing a bar that maybe fits a hundred people, you know, so it's kind of, I guess, what drives me as a, as a musician. And the misconception is that I'm not doing it to get famous. I'm definitely not doing it for money. Uh, if you're making music for money, then she better not be making punk or metal or rock in any sort of fashion. You know what I mean? That's the wrong. <laughs> yeah. You already, you already chose the wrong genre. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, it's a, it's very much because, and you know, I've talked about this before, you, metal and punk, they were always meant to be on the outside. And that's yeah. kind of, that's kind of the point we're making music. Uh, I, I saw a shirt one time that said, uh, ugly music for ugly people right. talking about metal. And, uh, right. yeah, to some extent, man, yeah, that's very true. Like we are those outsiders that found a home with a bunch of other people that felt like they were outsiders. Yeah. So like it was never about the money for me. Like I, it was always about getting a broader audience because yes. yeah, I did want to play a show and I didn't want to play to an empty fucking room. Uh, nobody wants to do that. Uh, it's terrible. I think every band's had those those experiences. My first band, we played uh, our first show. We none of the people in the band were over twenty one except me, and we played our, a show at a legit bar at a place called the Lighthouse downtown on Story. We played for the bartender and one of the servers. Those were the only two people. Right. And it was terrible, but it sounded good. So we just used it as an over glorified practice. So it was fine. But yeah, at the end of the day, man, it's not about the money. It's about the, it's about the experience and Mm -hmm. having the wild shit. Like you had, you know, people uh, dressed as dinosaurs and uh, (laughs) things of that nature, crowd surfing on top of pieces of pizza and just outlandish crazy shit. And those are things that you're never going to forget. So that, that's actually the, the second, the second part of this is the misconception of being in Belushi speedball, which you just touched on. Uh, so the band itself, we have never played the same type of show twice. We've played the same songs, but every single show has a a theatrical aspect to it along the lines of like Alice Cooper or Guar, or I know we catch flack whenever I say this, but then St. Clown Posse, there's always some sort of gimmick and story behind those bands to where you go to see them more than just the music. And so with Belushi Speedball, our whole thing is that we have this fake manager who means well, but every show just goes to chaos. And then we end up destroying the venue on accident. I'm doing air quotes accident. <laughs> you know, we trash the place, but it's always like, hey, we're going to do trick-or-treating this time. Or, hey, we have a bunch of toilet paper to give you. Or we got Beanie Babies for you. And then we shoot the Beanie Babies out of a T-shirt cannon. You know what I mean? And they get torn open or whatever. Uh, and so we've always implemented this aspect of theatrics between the music because as an artist, I knew day one, it was really important to stand out, especially if you want to build that fan base and it's entertainment. You go to see a band to be entertained and playing a niche genre like crossover thrash, you know, uh, it's, it's not going to be accessible to every single person. So how do you reach all those people that maybe they like pop punk or they, they like alternative rock, but they just so happen to end up in your show. Well, you reach them by having comedy and theatrical 
bits that they can relate to and that they're enjoying watching. And so that's how we were able to kind of, I guess, uh, appeal to more people was through the theatrics and the comedy and the trashing the venue. They all get involved in it. They trash it with us. And then afterwards, they all help us clean up. But now the misconception about being in Belushi and us doing this is we act very, very dumb on stage. And everything seems like it's all out of control and it's all ad-libbed and nothing is, you know, what it seems. It's all, uh, I guess, like we're dumb. I'll put it that way. Like we're idiots. You know what I mean? That's kind of our shtick is that we're this really dumb mess of a band. And because of that, anything goes. And you've been a part of our practices. You know firsthand, Drew, that every single line, every single thing we do, every single bit has been rehearsed. We're like, okay, after this, we're going to throw this out at the crowd. And then after this, we're going to say this. And then you're going to come up. We're going to have this argument or whatever. And so the misconception is a lot of people think we're really dumb. A lot of people think we're really unprofessional when we're some of the most professional people of all time. And that goes for other musicians, too. A lot of other musicians who get on a, a bill with Belushi Speedball, a lot of times will think like, oh, we'll just show up whenever or we'll play a lot longer or we'll leave our gear on stage. It's like, no, dude, like we're professionals. First and foremost, we act stupid. We act like we're not. But, you know, have that common respect as uh, I guess as an artist for each other. So that's kind of the misconception there. Yeah, I, and I could certainly attest to it. Like, I didn't know quite what I'd gotten myself into a couple of the times that you asked me to be a part of it. And you, can you show up for practice? And I was like, yeah, yeah, we'll show up. We'll go run it through a couple of times. And then you're like, you're sitting there with a fucking clipboard and a, a clipboard and a bullhorn. All right, here's where <laughs> you're going to I'm like, all right, Vinny, all right, man. We'll do what you want to yeah. do. This is your baby. Um, but yeah, dude, I, I think it, it's it's – we it's interesting to see what you've done with some of the things that you and I conceptually started doing in the white Lotus. Like you yeah. and I were pushing those boundaries. They're like, well, what are we going to do this show? You know? And they're like, what do you mean? We're like, what are we going to do? Yeah. This let's show? wear suits. Yeah. Let's <laughs> wear suits and we act goofy or, you know, yeah. we wore, I think we wore Hawaiian shirts one show and they you know, wanted to do a beach theme. So we all showed up in, in uh, coats and winter gear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we did silly shit, and it, yeah. it, I loved that stuff. I, I did, did some of that stuff in BX3. And mm -hmm. uh, the Ninja Turtle show you guys did. Oh, dude, it was great. Like, yeah. we, we wore uh, child sized Ninja Turtle outfits. And let me tell you this I'm not a little guy for those of you right. who are only listening. Uh, you know, um, that was that was a, probably a crime in about 15 states if I had to go. <laughs> uh, but. It's fun, and you got to set yourself apart because you go to fucking Spotify, see how many bands there are who are real goddamn good at the very thing you're playing. Yeah. So if you're not, if you're better, not figuring, better yo, than what I'm playing, yeah. And they're 15. Yeah, <laughs> you're like yeah, God no, I mean, damn it. So yeah, I personally cannot compete at a technical standpoint. I'll put it that way. Um, but where we stand out is um, our music is very catchy. And that was actually a turning point about four years ago. I started writing uh, music with the crowd in mind. And I, I remember telling uh, Bo this actually, I said, Bo, I want people to start singing our songs. And he said, well, you got to teach it to them then beforehand. So we started making songs to where the choruses 
are as simple as, are you feeling it now, Mr. Krabs? Are you feeling it now, Mr. Krabs? Are you feeling it now, Mr. Krabs? And then before the song, I say, all right, everyone, I have a, a question for you. And then I just keep repeating it until the entire crowd's saying it with me. Then I kick off the song and all of a sudden when it's time for the chorus, the entire crowd knows the chorus. And so uh, that's how we, we've gotten, you know, we've wrote, uh, I guess, um, choruses to where they get stuck in your head. Not, not, not dissimilar from rap music with catchy hooks. You know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's kind of the same concept. Yeah. But uh, in terms of a technical standpoint, I don't want to write music to where it's a 40-minute guitar solo and your mind's going to be blown with how great I am at guitar because, first of all, it's not happening. No one's going to be impressed. Second off, uh, to me, that's always been boring. I, I cannot tell you how many bands I've, I've watched and I've thought, wow, this band is amazing. But you know what? I'm just not. I'm just not feeling it right now. They're so technically sound. They're so incredible. It's mind blowing how great of musicians they are, but there's no, uh, there's no soul in their music. It's just look at how good we are. So. Yeah. And I think that some of the stuff like, and that was one thing, like the very first show you ever played with us, you were an absolute crazy person. Yeah. It, had to it was, it was amazing. Uh, we played at headliners. We played yeah. nearly sold out crowd, probably six or 700 people. Great show. Yeah. Great show. Yeah. And, was- uh, but you weren't shy. Like you were there. You were you're in my goddamn way, which bitch, right. I'm the front man. Get out of my way. No, no I'm just teasing, but no, it was great. No, I mean, it was, it was cool. It was you and me pretty much running that stage. And, uh, I was, uh, I was 18 as fearless as I was 18 years old up there. It There's was no wild. reason for me to be, uh, yeah. But I mean, it, that fearlessness has got you where you are, you know, you've created something that's your baby and you've mm-hmm. made something unique and like you've been written up multiple times in the Leo yeah. and velocity and, you know, you've made your way all through the, the global scene and a hundred percent on your back. Um, which brings me to the question. Like a lot of times I leave this question for last, but I have to know because I don't know that you've ever told me this given me this answer um how the fuck did you come up with the idea for belushi speedball especially incorporating something as crazy as senior diablo who has become as as much a part of the band as anything right um, so i never think that we had that conversation as to how this all came to pass um it all started yeah so it, it all kind of was just the snowball effect. Um, and I think any, any really good um, band that has some sort of theatrical presence, I don't want to call it a gimmick because it, a gimmick is almost like, in my mind, like, like this is what will get us famous. You know, we are somewhat a gimmick band, but, but I don't like saying that because it almost does a disservice to what we actually try to do. Um, but any band that tries to go above and beyond the music and have a theatrical presence um, I think that a lot of times that theatrical presence gets built organically. And that's kind of what happened with us. Um, so my buddy, Bo, uh, this is how this all started, asked me to be a part of his movie, Dr. Mavaggio. As you know, Bo makes some amazing films. Uh, to give him a shout out, go watch Cora on YouTube. You got to type in Cora space Kalen, K-A-E-L-I-N. Doesn't it have and, like a uh, million yeah, views or something? Uh, it's up there. It's a couple yeah. hundred thousand, I think, at this point. Yeah. But yeah, it's his trip to chat. But anyways, Bo's an amazing director, 
phenomenal uh, movie uh, producer, I guess is, is what you would call that. It's just he, he does it all, video editor. Um, but he uh, he asked me to be a part of this movie as a fake band called uh, Doppelhammer. It was supposed to be a black metal band. And so um, it kind of was a spinal tap deal to where the band, we played a real show, it was real music, but it was all for this fictitious uh, movie, you know, for, for the band was fictitious, even though we played a real show. And so after I did that, I fell in love with playing music again. And so this is back in 2013. So this is after, uh, I guess, a two to three year hiatus from playing music because the White Lotus was the last band I was in. And so after that, I was like, you know what? I had so much fun. Uh, and we played, uh, we played Magbar, you know, we played on the floor and it was packed. And I was like, you know what? That was just a blast. There was like a hundred people in this room and it, we played on the floor. I didn't even know that was still an option anymore at this point. Um, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to set out and I'm going to make myself uh, an EP. And so I decided to, uh, to just make like crossover thrash because it was all I was really good at writing. And uh, honestly, it was kind of my favorite type of music to listen to anyways. So I wrote the, I wrote the first song and uh, I, I was, I, I did all the guitars. I had my, my drummer, Alex do the drums. I sent it to Chase to put guitar solos on it. And I didn't even do vocals on the first song. I sent it to my buddy in Ohio to do vocals. And I'll never forget Chase when he first did the solos. Like, man, I don't know what you're going for with this. But then when he heard the final product, he went, dude, I get it. Chase <laughs> said to me, he's like, man, I totally get this. So it's like, oh, yeah. I was like, would you ever, and this is how I tricked those guys into doing this. Would you ever? <laughs> <Tricked>. <laughs> I did. Because uh, originally I was just going to make an EP. I just had some music I wanted to get out. I go, would you ever want to play it out, Chase, just one time? He was like, yeah, yeah, we could totally do it. I was like, cool, we'll play Magbar because I know that's an option. I can play there whenever I want. So um, I got Alex to do drums and I booked Magbar. And on a whim, I said, hey, I want my buddy Bo to be a part of this. Uh, he's a character actor. And I watched a lot of his older films that he used to do, almost like this sketch comedy Tim and Eric thing. Uh, and he had this character in there called Cinder Diablo. He was just this degenerate idiot like he always meant well but he just always screw everything up I, I i told the guys i'm like i want him to be our manager i go and he's just gonna run the show for us and then we'll come out and um before of course all this happened uh, i had to name this project and my buddy lee high singer uh i was at work one day and i was like lee i need a name for a band i go i just got done watching animal house and i, I want to reference that movie somehow and he we just without a blinking an eye goes blue speedball Oh my God, it's genius. Done. Okay. So, so here's this band that formed off of an EP I made. Uh, and we're going to go play our first show at Magbar and we have a manager and it's called Belushi Speedball. And so what I wanted the band to be is just a mess. I wanted it just to be like, we're trying our butts off, but everything we do, it just fails. And so, you know, we, so you were at that first show. So we had this yeah. big curtain up and, and Senior Diablo rolls up in the curtain and falls on the ground, you know, and like he was trying to project something. And then we start the show and like, he's doing all these comedy bits in between. And so the band kind of was born off of that. We just ended up playing with him. And then uh, we went a whole year without playing again. And we, uh, we ended up playing a year later at Magbar again uh, on the floor. And this time, I think our first show where we you were at, the very first one, we maybe had 40 people. 
the second time there was a hundred, 150 people in this room just cause I would, I would promote so shamelessly. And so we play again, Belushi speedball. We're dressed up like the blues brothers. We had a pile of TVs that were all playing like those random videos, like literally a pile of tube TVs and people really liked it because it was so weird. And so then it wasn't until two shows later that we played Kaiju that uh, I decided let's trash the place. Let's do silly string. Let's do trash. Let's do all this stuff. This for our album release. And when we started doing that, people latched on so hard to the band to where it was like, you know, all this stuff is being thrown out. And of course we wrote it all to be a part of the show to where Senor Diablo wanted to like, I don't know, you know, like to, to decorate. So he gave everyone silly string. It was some, some sort of concept like that. And so that's kind of where we saw everyone really enjoy it from that show that all of a sudden we caught, we're like, wow, this really caught on. This is now what we're going to do. We're going to have all these different themes. Every show is going to have a purpose and it's always going to just go into chaos and we're going to end up trashing the, the venues. So long story short, cause I know that was a lot of rambling. No, the band basically just started with me wanting to write an EP, tricking my buddies to playing it out. And then it, it's snowballing into this giant theatrical thing. <laughs> you know, that's, that's pretty much all there is to it. Uh, as far as my buddy Bo, uh, I'm someone that I like putting my friends in my band. And I don't, I don't care if they can play an instrument or not. Now, Bo can actually play bass, but I don't care. So that was always something I did with Belushi. I always stuck random people in my band to be on stage with us. Um, you know, you obviously can sing. You had background on that. But, I mean, I would, like, ask you to be a part of it and just come out dressed up as Spongebob or, like, <laughs> yeah. and my buddy who has, you know, who's never been in a band before, has no talent, hey, dress up as a, as a dinosaur and come out on stage and just hold the <laughs> mic. <laughs> you know? So uh, that's kind of why I've always wanted Bo to be a part of it. But it turned out he was actually one of the most valuable assets to that band. Oh, uh, just, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, he's created yeah. his own his own show for right. it, you know, as it's become its own entity and it's, it's right. insanity. And Senior Diablo show, watch it on YouTube. Yeah. Great <laughs> plug. Cause it's so, uh, be prepared to feel like that you're high, even though you're not, because it's such a right. odd, strange dive into weirdness. It's, <laughs> right. I don't know how else to refer to it. So like, <laughs> I feel like at this point, this is going to be a hard question for you. Um, sure what has been the most insane, crazy thing that you guys have done thus far? There's several, there's a couple. Okay. Um, one of them was, <laughs> one of them was we, we, we went on tour recently with, um, I don't like to swear. Uh, I don't know. Like, okay. I swear outside of, of the music. I swear while I'm on stage, but like, I don't, I, I try not to swear cause I find it funny to be as like, g-rated as possible in my music <laughs> and so i'm trying to be as g-rated as possible on your podcast but we went on tour with a band called uh mr uh, female anatomy and the pink cigarettes <laughs> and so we went on tour with um uh the female anatomy starts with a c and most guys can't find it <laughs> <laughs> that's fair so, that's fair uh we went on tour with them um, and I rented this uh, like Nissan Pathfinder, and <laughs> I made I made everyone 
uh, I packed a, uh, I packed a full bag of trash cause we needed to have that bag of trash for every venue. And then we would repack the same bag of trash up and put it in there. Uh, I had a bouncy house. I had a full size inflatable bouncy house. We would inflate in all these venues and then every, we'd kick off the show by me jumping into it while playing guitar. And then like, it would just, that's how the show kicked off at every, every stop. And then I packed a TV and a, uh, and uh, a raspberry pie. So, because there was a plug in the Nissan Pathfinder, like a full size TV so I could play video games in there. So we went on tour with no room in this truck. Let alone our gear was in there also full cabs and everything because I had to have a bouncy house, a bag of trash and a TV, even though I own a switch, I wanted a TV with me. And I kept telling the band, I'm like, you're going to want that TV later. And so I made the, the members of the band ride around with this TV on their lap. So, <laughs> I thought that was that was pretty stupid. We were very uncomfortable, but uh, yeah. So going on tour with a full size bouncy house was crazy. Uh, we played a living room in a house in Tennessee, in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee. Like it was, like you all want to pass in Tennessee, and uh, we is that played, the one uh, with Norma Jean? Is that the <laughs> no, one? You're no, no, that that that's a house show actually in Louisville. We did play there too. Okay. Uh, that's friend's mansion. That was insane. Yeah. Uh, but, um, this living room literally was 90% bouncy house and then <laughs> us because <laughs> we had to have it inflated. So I mean, you uh, have it, might as well use it. So that was, that was crazy. Um, and then other things like, God, you know, Bo made that toilet paper gun and he would, we opened up for Daikaiju at Airless Lounge and, uh, he knew that they play with fire. So Bo had this idea that if we just throw out nothing but paper, people have to clean it up if they want to watch Daikaiju and it works. So he toilet papered this entire venue with this toilet paper gun, knowing that the, they would have to, before they went on, clean everything up because otherwise they couldn't have the fire. Uh, but, but the, uh, the ultimate so far for me was actually with when Chase and Alex were both back in the band, getting banned uh, permanently from art sanctuary. Uh, I think that was when Belushi finally took it too far. So we um, we played Louisville is Dead, and we thought it would be really cool just to go as far as we can take it. We've never went this far. So um, Bo had a fertilizer spreader. Cinder Diablo had a fertilizer spreader, and he filled it full of nerds, the candy, and was shooting nerds out. And it was about 10 pounds of nerds. So he shot nerds all over the crowd. And then we threw out probably a hundred cans of seltzer water. So it melted everything on the floor. And then we threw out about seven pounds of jelly beans. And, <laughs> and uh, I'm trying to think we threw out like silly string, obviously uh, pool noodles, um, footballs. We, we just kept throwing it. It just, it kept getting worse and worse. And the place was just, just we, we destroyed essentially, I think the capacity, there's probably like a thousand people. We destroyed this venue to the point that like um, they literally after us had to like take a half an hour break to try and get as much cleaned up as possible. And they still couldn't, you couldn't move your feet would get stuck to the floor. Cause we melted all that candy on the ground. Uh, and in our defense, we thought like, Oh, oh, it won't be that bad because we're not using soda. We're using salsa water, not thinking it would melt all the candy. Uh, and then we proceeded to die on stage, which our, our buddies then, uh, played a set after us with uh, me, Chase, and Alex all dead on stage, and we didn't move for a half an hour, uh, <laughs> covered in jelly beans. 
So yeah, we uh, we were banned then from Art Sanctuary. So wow. that was probably the that was probably the worst. <laughs> did you did you guys go back to help clean up? Oh, we tried. Or were they so mad that they were just like, "Get the fuck out of here! We don't." Just go. <laughs> I've had that said to me after a show before. They were they're like, "Get the f off stage!" Yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna say where, but yeah, uh, I've I've screwed up a few times where I've made some bad decisions in the heat of the moment. Because, uh, you know, I conduct the crowd to do stuff. Like, I tell them. I command them. Like, I want all of you to lay on the ground and roll around, and they do it, you know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there there was one time I, I asked everyone to get on stage with us, and that was a bad idea because they all did. <laughs> it's like 200 people. That's <laughs> it was a bad idea. But, yeah, <laughs> no, so uh, what ended up happening with um, Art Sanctuary was we, we tried to clean up, but it, the damage was done so extensively that they had to they had to get out the um, not like a zamboni but the push version of a zamboni. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about yeah they had to yeah. like really like industrial clean the floor. Uh, they were really mad at us. They basically said like yeah you, you guys can't play here again. But, uh, yeah. So you, so you're like Mobile Zone uh, Bad Luck Thirteen Rod Extravaganza. Yeah, except for we don't we're we're fun with not fun at. We don't yeah, try to hurt people. They want people is, to die. Oh, we want everyone to party with us. Yeah, it's true. I'm, uh, yeah, that was the only time I've ever seen a uh, a full blown riot. Right. Uh, I think I told you that story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I saw this band, Bad Luck Thirteen, in New Jersey, mm-hmm. uh, at this sports complex, and it was whoever booked the show. It was Hellfest two thousand three, and whoever mm-hmm. booked the show knew it was their last show. So they put them on the the last band on the last day. <laughs> right. So this person knew what was going to happen. Uh, they were throwing full uh, full size industrial size uh, fluorescent bulbs into the crowd. Yeah, into the crowd. Uh, they had they threw out bats wrapped in barbed wire into the yeah. middle of the pit, and the people that were like uh, part of the uh, the FSU crew, the fuck shit up crew, or the Boston beatdown guys were swinging the barbed wire bats around. They Jesus. threw out an entire pig's head. It was a real severed pig's head that they threw into the crowd that was slinging blood all over everybody. I don't even know where the fuck they got this head. They right. just showed up with it, and they're like, yeah, let's just throw this. And then at one point, they told the uh, the FSU crew guys, which they were probably, I don't know, two or 300 deep there uh, out of the you know, eight, 10,000 people that were there. And uh, they're like, I want everybody in the bleachers to bleed. And they proceeded to run toward the bleachers and flip the bleachers while people were on them. And I'm just picking people up and throwing them back and, you know, get out of here, get out of the way. And it was uh, at that point, full riot patrol is showing up uh, because the people that are running the show won't let anybody to the soundboard. Right. And nobody knew how to access the main power because that would have been the only way to stop the show. Because like it was two, three hundred people that were, I dare you to come in here and stop this show, you yeah. know. And it was crazy. So we uh we definitely try not to go. We we're like, hey, have some candy, kids, <laughs> yeah. some inflatables. Yeah, we're fun with. We don't we don't really want to hurt people. And to be honest, our goal isn't to get banned from places. Um, Almost every single show, I'm I'm there, Bo's there, the band's there, and then now the fans, the fans stay with us and, and help clean up. Uh, but you know, I, it's not um, unheard of for me to be at a venue until two, three a.m. sweeping up 
making sure it's cleaner than when we got there. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that's probably a good bit to, you know, because, you know, we had talked about this a little bit off record, but, you know, it's one of those things that with the internet and uh, social media being so pervasive in society, like everything follows you. Yeah. Um, so you, you, it's, it's good to be mindful that you need to be nice to everybody and just a good thing to do in general, just be nice and decent to people. Uh, and it'll get you pretty far. Uh, it's worked really well for me. It's seemed to work pretty well for you. And right. You know, so I think a good rule of thumb, but, uh, well, I mean the main, the main thing to remember and so many musicians and bands, I shouldn't say so many, but a lot of people, a lot of people forget this. Uh, it's a privilege to play at a venue. It's a privilege to play in front of anyone. If there's one person there, that's a privilege that they came to watch you. Mm -hmm. So don't take that for granted. Really, you know, give back, try to treat them good because no one owes you anything. You're not so amazing that, you know, we owe you this venue and we owe you a thousand people or whatever it is. I mean, you're, you know, you're lucky to, to have that, I guess. So that's the way I've always viewed it. I've been very privileged and very blessed to be able to have a place I can play at. Right. And it's exponential. If that one guy, if you go in and it doesn't matter to there was that one person there and you still just go and throw down and do all your crazy antics. And that one person who knows, maybe he's a reporter for a magazine and he goes, I saw the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. And they did it for just me, you know? And well, we, uh, we have played when when we go on tour in Louisville, it's very rare that we ever play for less than 50 people now just Mm -hmm. because of word of mouth. Um, but when we went on tour, I have played, you know, we played a, a few shows to where maybe there's 10 people there. So what we do is we get real interactive with them. Uh, we took a few of the venues, we took everyone into the bathroom and we played Bloody Mary, but like we were, <laughs> we were raising dead, pre- like mid set. We stopped mid set. We're like, come on, come on. But we, we'd raise uh, dead presidents. Uh, we played Youngstown, Ohio in the basement of a bowling alley for 10 people, which where William McKinley was born. So we raised the ghost of William McKinley in the bathroom of this basement, <laughs> you know, and, but we all had fun. You know, the, those 10 people are there and we, we tried to really make them a part of the show. So yeah, and I'm that's sure the- they remember it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's absolutely crazy. Yeah. So that's, that's fun. Um, to me, I think I always think it's interesting, like, especially when I have people that I know as well as you, um, and get to sit down and talk to them about the thing that they're really passionate about and also I'm well aware of what their personal life entails. So my question to you is knowing that, how are you able to separate the fact that, you know, and if people don't know, you are a high school science teacher. Yeah. So how are you able to balance the fact that during the day that you're a professional, you mm-hmm. know, you have a, a career, you know, it's not just a job. You, you went to school for that. It's your career. Right. How are you able to separate Belushi events and science teacher events? Um, well, with, with being a teacher, I think it kind of goes hand in hand with being a musician because you're essentially a performer and mm. you're entertaining. When you're in front of the classroom, I'm entertaining that class. I'm engaging them. You know, I'm not playing music for them, but I'm telling them stories essentially. And that's kind of what you do as a musician. So I don't really think it's that different. Uh, the character's definitely different. I'm, I'm way more... I'm way more crazy on stage. Um, but yeah, I think, it, I think it goes hand in hand. I think it's the perfect career, honestly, for anyone that wants to be a musician. 
as you know, you're a teacher and you were a musician. It goes pretty much hand in hand. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in the last year, as you know, that, you know, I've taken the dive to jump back on a stage in a different way. Uh, you know, as part of three different plays, Yes. uh, and those skills definitely go hand in hand. Like you said, I think, uh, I find that really pr- profound that you say that because it is true that, you know, to a degree, um, and when you're in college, I don't know if your professors talked about this, but they said that you would be, uh, you could be different types of educators. Uh, you could be the teller, uh, you could be the giver, or you could be the performer. Uh, that yeah. was how they put it to us. And I go, well, sure. fuck, I already know which one I am. Uh, right. You know, I, I'd been the performer for years. So, you know, I, I'm not afraid to get up in front of my students and make a fool of myself uh, in order to, for them to understand something a little bit better. Uh, whether that, that be do, doing accents or, you know, being silly about different things. And, you know, they love it. They oh, do. They really do. Yeah. yeah. They think I'm such a, such a nerd and a, yeah. you know, it's kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. So, and um, I'm not on Bo's level, but I, um, Bo Kalen is like notorious for Mr. Halloween at his school. Yeah. Um, and I kind of took that. Um, I'm on the record here, but it's okay. Uh, I took the uh, the notion of better to ask for forgiveness than permission. So mm-hmm. I didn't know I didn't know what I was allowed to do with my Halloween costumes uh, and what I could do. So I, I did a whole week's worth of costumes this past year that was awesome. The kids were like coming to my room in the morning by like 50, 60 of them. They're like right. peeking in my door and I have my door closed because they're like, what's the costume today? And uh, I did Insidious. I did the old lady from Insidious. I did oh, that's cool. Texas Chainsaw Massacre with a uh, uh, mechanical toy chainsaw. Uh, sure. Didn't ask about that. I just brought it. Uh, <laughs> it was fine. My sure. pr- assistant principal loved it. She's like, this is great. I had a kid fall asleep in my class. And uh, rather than, you know, go by and tap her like I normally would, I got like right in her face. And this could have went bad, but it didn't. I got right in her face and then I put the chainsaw right by her head and revved up the chainsaw. Right. <laughs> she, she almost fell out of the desk and when she was awake the rest of the class. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I think, yeah, that's probably a beautiful correlation. Wait, kids remember that. They're not going to remember – for me, at least, they're not going to remember the time I taught them about, you know, what was the uh, was the Golgi apparatus doing the cell. They're going to remember the really fun, engaging, weird things that they do in your classroom, you know, that they, they have fun with. For me, one of the things, you know, you asked about separation. A lot of my kids, when they graduate, uh, it's almost like a rite of passage for some of them. They come out to my shows and they watch me. Um, I even recently at the, the place that Norma Jean played, the Friends Mansion, it was an all-ages show. I had one of my former students who graduated. He's 19 now. I had him play drums on three songs with me. You know I didn't I mean? know that. Yeah, it was kind of a cool thing for him. He, uh, Since he was a sophomore, I, he was always an amazing drummer. I always told him, I was like, I want to play so badly, just one show with you. Like, <laughs> That's then, amazing. That's really, super cool, dude. Yeah, yeah. No, it's cool. You know, and uh, and so, you know, I've, I've had a lot of former students come out to, to see me and and stuff and it's it's always really uh i guess flattering you know so it's not that far removed i guess yeah and hearing you say that yeah the connection immediately comes and i'm like oh yeah that is true you know so mm-hmm. yeah it's for me it's just interesting to see that you know that juxtaposition of the character that you create there on stage because as you mentioned you are oddly wholesome 
in real life. It's it's so weird. Yeah. You paint figurines and you hang out with your cat, and it's yeah. like <laughs> it sells. It's interesting. I, I, the, the dichotomy of the of the two is just I, I like yeah. it a lot. Well, it's um, funny is Belushi on stage. We uh we think it's funny to be in this band that kind of plays aggressive music, but all the songs are about cartoons or about SpongeBob. And on stage, we're never preaching hate. We're never like screaming at the crowd, like, Oh yeah, we're so hard. We always kind of act like a bunch of children, I guess. I don't, I don't know how to, you know, we're, we're very, uh, like you said, wholesome. We try to portray that as a metal band. I'll put that way. Like we try to pretend like we're, uh, like we're real bad, we're real heavy, but then we'll be like, this song's about Doug Dimido, you know? <laughs> my favorite thing to do, because I'm a Christian, uh, I like to dedicate a lot of my songs to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And it's, it's like that. And the crowd's like, wait, what? <laughs> I'm supposed to, I don't know. I'm not supposed to do that. And I'm not preaching, obviously. I just think it's funny. I'm completely cool with it, man. You do you. Uh, I mean, that's one of the the big driving forces. Again, I you know I'll say it ad, ad nauseum as people listen to this. You know, ha- sitting down with people like you, and you know, we've been friends for a very long time, and uh, relatively close. You know, you came to my wedding, and I went to your wedding, and you know, I consider you family, and we couldn't be more different on a lot of things. Um, but it doesn't matter. None of that crap matters. And because at the end of the day, you know, I love you. You're my family. And I, I think that's the beauty. And I think that's why, you know, so many people have bought right into this podcast. I haven't had any problems getting guests because I think right. so many people realize that, you know, that who cares what your political ideology is or your religion is. I'm right. an atheist. You're a Christian. I don't give a shit. We don't have to talk about that thing. It doesn't no, matter. No. Yeah. I didn't bring it up. I didn't bring it up to, uh, to talk about like that. I just brought it up in the fact that, um, I, I like to do things that you're not supposed to do, I guess, when you're in a metal band. Yeah, because was, you assume you're a devil-worshiping crazy person. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, and and that yeah. comes back to that misconception. misconception. Yeah. yeah, and uh, I talked with Joey Mertz, you know, who has, um, you know, been in several local metal bands, and, you know, we talked about some of those things. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand, and it, it's funny that you're kind of, you're taking it in a different direction. You're stripping it down, to expose realistically metal is silly. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Like these guys get up here, you know, bands like cannibal corpse. And he's like, you know, not to offend anybody, but this is cannibal corpse where he'll be like, this next song goes out to the ladies. It's yeah. called fucked with a knife. And you're like, yeah. what does he mean that? Absolutely oh. not. It's a, it's a, a joke within a joke. It's like, we're so tough. You know, they're, you know, all this crazy, the hardest, crazy, heavy music you've ever heard in your life, but it's all really tongue in cheek. Like, well, that's, that's what it was back in the eighties. It was, uh, it was marketing. Um, and so Slayer, Tom Maria did an interview and they asked him, uh, do you really, uh, worship the devil? You know, or why, why did you come up with that stuff? And Tom Maria said it was just to make people mad, you know, yeah. they just funny. And that's really, you know, what it comes down to is back then it was kind of just tongue in cheek mm-hmm. uh, and it was a, it was a marketing ploy, you know what I mean? But by today's standards, the stuff is so tame. So how do you take it one step further, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. There's always bands that are really going to step outside. Yeah, there's scary bands. Uh, we talked about <laughs> behemoth is terrifying. 
just because they're so serious. Yeah. Uh, you you wholeheartedly believe, I don't know if it's true or not, that, that they believe everything that they say. You're like, okay, they kill people. Uh, just because <laughs> they're so serious hello we all behemoth and of course they're norwegian right, and yeah. he has such true black metal and yeah. uh so yeah i mean you get opposite ends of spectrum and, the, and then you do get bands that uh are in the same realm as you guys like bury your dead back in the day i mean they were super heavy and and people go to their shows and throw down but all their songs were goofy they were named after tom cruise movies I you know think of, like from that era I always think of like arsonist and all the girls. I oh think, yeah. I think of those bands um, to where even the red cord, you know, yep. we're talking the, the metal core days to where you have like the most heaviest band of all time, but like all this, like you said, you know, bury your dead. It's all about time cruise. It's all humor. There was always humor involved. And that mm-hmm. was what you and me always tried to do with the white Lotus that, you know, we didn't always see eye to eye with other members uh, to where they wanted to be serious about things, but like people like humor, especially mm-hmm. in a especially in a genre of music, to where it's not supposed to be humorous. Mm-hmm. It, it stands out, and people really enjoy that. Yeah. So. Well, I think I think this has been a fun conversation, man. It's uh, yeah. with the, with everything going on, and you know, not being able to get the, out of the house as much, and seeing all the the people that you know you're close to and, and things of that nature. This, this is a nice escape. And I, I hope people take the listening to, you know, the crazy antics that you've gotten up to and shit and, uh, use it as a means to kind of escape. And, uh, is there anything you want to promote before we, before we take it out? There, there is, there's one thing I want to say. Um, so the, the current Belushi speedballs lineup has always changed. And so I want to, I want to kind of give a shout out to the current lineup and, I can't, I can't do the bands without these people. You know, it's a, it's very much a we thing. I know I talked a lot about myself or my, my uh, views on the band, but it's, it is a, it's a band. It's very much a unity of people. So I want to give a shout out to uh, my current bass player, Jazzy. Uh, she really has, has stepped it up and uh, she's been a very huge contributor to our ideas, uh, to the music and just the performance on stage. It's nice to have her next to me going crazy. I'll give a shout out to Kyle, my guitarist, Daniel Neal, one of my drummers. I couldn't do it without Daniel. Uh, and then I couldn't do it with James Ryan Bohr, my other drummer that picks up shows for us. I couldn't do it without Chase Palmer, my other drummer. You know, we uh, we have to sometimes alternate drummers in there because in Louisville, drummers are in like 20 bands nowadays. So, you know, sometimes uh, Daniel or James can't play it, Chase will play it or vice versa. Uh, and then obviously I couldn't do it without without Senor Diablo. I want to just remind everyone to go to the Senor Diablo show on YouTube and watch it. There's something like 60 episodes and he, there is no other show that has documented the Louisville music scene for the past five years, like that show. And that's really what it has done. He goes to like a lot of different live shows, records the band, interviews the band, and it truly does document the Louisville music scene in a very crazy adult swim way. Um, <laughs> As far as promoting shameless self-promotion for my own music, uh, I did recently, we, we released a vinyl 7-inch uh, EP. It's also available digitally. Uh, we released that under Sauna Blast Records, which shout out to Girlwood. Girlwood signed a Sauna Blast Records, and they're doing extremely well. They have something like 900,000 listeners on Spotify. It's incredible. So it's a dream come true to be on that label with them. And so uh, our, 
our EP is available on our Bandcamp for sale. You can also listen to it digitally all over the place, you know, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube's, whatever. And, you know, I want to encourage everyone to, to support local music and go buy my stuff. <laughs> we also released, uh, we released our, our latest single, The Spinelli Slam, named after Spinelli's Pizza on Furby. yeah another crazy antic i love it yeah um well man i i greatly appreciate you taking out some time to sit down with me man i really appreciate it It was fun you were one of the first people i thought about man i was like who else has uh uh unique insights in in a way that i don't know that too many people do um so i was like i have to have him on here so uh great conversation man i I take it easy Uh, i hope you stay safe during or stay safe during all this brother yeah definitely you too